What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. Today's guest lives in Canada, is a recovering people pleaser, podcast host, marketer, energetic Jane of all trades, and now a published author. Her new book, Sacred Anger, comes out March 3rd, where she not only tells you that anger is okay, she also walks you through how to work with your anger and let it teach you deep soul level lessons. Serena Myers, welcome to Montrospective. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm excited to meet you. We met through a mutual friend. So, you know, we have a lot to chat about. I'm sure we have so much in common. I learned so much about you just from being on your social media and checking out your website. So I'm really excited for this new book coming out. But I want to start at the very beginning with you. I want to know what kind of kid were you and what were your dreams for your future? Oh, okay. I love that you asked. No one has ever asked that. And, and I think it's actually really pivotal in my story. I was a chatty kid. I was the one who they would move to the front of the class away from her friends because she was gabbing all the time. Um, I actually had the nicknames and they broke my heart, uh, Motormouth and Gabby Guts, which just broke my heart. And now I'm like, damn right. I talk a lot. <laughs> it's totally fine. But um, I was a chatty kid and my parents divorced when I was young. So uh, I would go one week with one parent, one week with the other. And I ended up having this like almost split personality. So when I was living with my mom, I was around the kids I went to school with. Like that was like my regular life, so to speak. And that's where that gregarious, like outgoing needs to be the center of attention um, chatty kid was. But then when I'd go to my dad's, um, I was a lot more withdrawn. I was a bookworm who would just kind of curl up at the book and like not want to go outside. I didn't learn to ride a bike till I was 11. Like I had no interest. And um, yeah, it was like, it was like two completely different personalities. And I find that now as an adult, I've kind of integrated the two. So I love people. I love to connect, but I also like to like snuggle down with a book, with Netflix, with a video game, whatever, and just kind of recharge in that way. So it's, it's, it's really funny how, um, how it expresses itself as our adult, as an adult, because I think that uh, life kind of trains us out of who we were naturally in a lot of ways. I completely agree. And you and I now have that in common as well. My father's nickname for me was mouth, mostly because I questioned everything and talked back and just, yeah, couldn't stop talking either. So yes, we have that in common. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you have any idea as a kid what 
your life's path was going to be? Or did you discover that much later on? Uh, it changed a lot. And I think part of that was that I changed a lot as well. Um, I wanted to be an actress and I actually went to a performing arts high school. So uh, that worked. My dad really wanted me to be a lawyer. I really wanted to be a judge at one point. Um, and I did go through a pretty judgmental phase in my life. So I guess it kind of manifested in that way. Uh, I really wanted to get into radio. So I actually, that's what I studied in college. Um, I did radio, then I did marketing afterwards. And um, that's what kind of led to the podcast as well. And I'll be able to record my own audiobook in the end because I've got these skills and I talk for a living basically. Um, marketing was not... Uh, was not on the agenda. So when my when my whole trajectory kind of shifted in that way, it was I fell into it. It was like there were no radio jobs. Because like, what do you do with a radio career? This was like early two thousands. Radio was already on its way out, and I'm like, I'm going to go and study that in university. So um, yeah, it, I really thought I'd be in some kind of a performing capacity. I didn't expect to be behind the scenes for so long. I didn't expect to move into alternative health or to study aromatherapy or all the things that. I ended up doing, um, which kind of led to my coaching now, none of that was on the radar at all. I didn't even know those were possibilities, to be honest. That's another thing we have in common. I was in radio marketing for 16 years. Wow. <laughs> so yes, we have, we have a I'm lot kidding. of um, things that cross over. It's kind of cool. Um, so I do know from reading a little bit about you that you grew up in the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and went through some challenges when you started discovering that you had these certain abilities. Can you talk about what that was like? Yeah. So I actually, in that, in that phase in my life where I, uh, when I was at my dad's and I was a little bit more introverted, I really got into working with Ouija boards. So I had, um, I was also the kind of kid who, if she read something in a book, she tried to do it in real life. So when I was 11, I was trying to do astral projection. I tried to do scrying, like all these things that are like actually pretty advanced. I didn't succeed, let's be honest. Um, but I tried when I was 11 and I, I had the same priest for like my entire childhood, um, and he was such a beautiful man. And I just feel so sorry for him now because you talked about you know, being called mouth because you always asked why I was a terrible Catholic because I couldn't just take what was given and be like, this is truth. I was like, but why? And so when I was having these experiences that were very otherworldly and I would sit down in confession and tell, <laughs> tell my priest, he wanted to save me so badly. So I spent a lot of time doing penance. I prayed so much, but he didn't change my conviction. Like the priest is saying, you know, you weren't talking to your grandfather on the Ouija board. That was the devil. And I was like, mm, that was it. <laughs> so um, when I went to art school, when I was 14, everything changed. Like that's when I got exposure to people who were outside of the church. And I started to ask bigger questions. And more importantly, like, is this even for me anymore? And it wasn't. And um, I don't regret it. Like, I think you know, it was a really, I think that like the ritual in the community and everything that, that is involved in the church in that sense is really beautiful and powerful. Um, but some of the baggage was a lot. The assumption, the judgment, the guilt. Oh, the Catholic guilt that we carry. I mean, I left the church in 1994. I still carry it. It's ridiculous. So those parts are a little bit less sparkly. Like I'm not super keen on that part of it, but the rest of it was was really beautiful, really eye-opening. And it also showed me where my values are because I'm someone who wants to ask the questions and they don't want the questions asked. So that was a very natural way of Serena, you don't fit here. And then I was okay. Were your parents supportive of all these different things you wanted to try? Um, that's a good question. So my parents are 
spiritual people in their own rights. They weren't super Catholic. Like most of that was like my grandma. So we were the Catholics who went to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, I would go on Sundays to avoid cleaning my room. <laughs> so I could do it later <laughs> in the day. Uh, total truth. And so, you know, for me to leave the church was not a big deal in terms of the spiritual stuff. A lot of it, I didn't tell them. Um, they did find out about the seances uh, when I was 12 because uh, the police got called at a birthday party. Okay, it's a juicy story. Um, do you guys remember, do you remember Unsolved Mysteries? I know. It just oh, yes. Netflix. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, so at this birthday party, we had this brilliant idea of how we were going to channel spirits into our bodies and we were going to record it and get on Unsolved Mysteries. But we were also terrified because you know, it's kind of a big thing. So we started calling local churches, asking them to pray for us. And one of the churches said, you know what, why don't you just give me the address of where you are? We'll make sure you're okay. And they sent the police. Oh my gosh. So everyone's parents got called. It was such a kerfuffle. Uh, I got busted. Like th that's when I think some of this came on my dad's radar. Um, and I mean, my stepmom at the time, um, she was definitely not into it. It was the kind of thing where she would uh, every time we would go to bed, like my stepsister and I, she would just start to complain and complain and complain to the point where my dad actually sent me to go and live with my aunt and uncle um, because he couldn't really handle it and she couldn't handle it. And she thought that I was possessed by the devil and she was very Catholic um, and, and who would have this kind of curiosity otherwise, right? So, um, you know, between the, my own scary experiences and then being cast out in that way, um, a lot of this stuff just got shut down for a really long time because again, it was like, this is, this is the thing that um, makes you different. This is what makes you weird. If you're gonna fit in, if you're gonna have friends, you gotta do something else. And so it got shut down and, and pushed away for a long time. Other than the parts that I couldn't avoid, um, I'm very, very um, clairsentient. So I feel energy in a big way, uh, which has saved my life. I can't tell you how many times. And so th that was the one thing I couldn't turn off. So in dangerous situations, I could literally get like a punch in the gut and it was very physical and I knew I had to get out. Um, which saved me. And I'm grateful for that. But everything else got tucked away until my late 20s, because I was just even early 30s, actually, like really before I started to activate it consciously, I was just closed right off. So you mentioned your clairsentient. And I know you're claircognizant as well with some other tendencies. Can you talk about what your abilities are and how you kind of came to recognize them and then honed them? So when I first um, started having things activate, I was getting 3 a.m. wake up calls from my guides where this loud piercing sound would come in my ear and literally like drag me from like the depths of slumber. And I would be so mad and so resentful and I wouldn't have had enough sleep and I would just trudge my way into the bathroom, sit in the tub and let the shower run on me. And I would cry and I would beg for it to stop like everything. And really what it was was my clear audience was acting up or activating, I guess. It was where I was starting to be able to hear things and communicate with the other side. Uh, but I was very resistant because I was not ready to allow that in really. So I knew this was happening and I thought, okay, what do I do with this? Like, I, I don't have the skills to, to process this even. And then I was having a fire ceremony in my backyard and I saw my dead stepfather in the reflection of my patio doors. And I thought, oh crap, okay, great. This ghost thing is happening again. All right, we got to do something with this. Um, so then a woman I knew was teaching mediumship and I reached out to her and I said, so my clear audience is acting up and I don't want to see dead people. Can you teach me? And she was like, well, 
I'm not going to teach you not to see dead people, but we're going to address why you're afraid to. And so it was through working with her that I was able to hone these gifts, these things that had like naturally were coming to me, but that I didn't really know what to do with. And she made it accessible and she made it not scary. Now, I am a trained medium who doesn't talk to dead people. I then took all those same skills and applied them to working with angels and ascended masters and even people's like the, the messages that'll come through their ancestral lineage, but dead people as a whole, like not my jam at all. Um, and because I took that approach, it became a lot less scary because like those entities really have no agenda. And so much of it was just being able to understand my own energy and claim my own energy and my own space. So before I go to bed at night, I make sure that everybody is booted out. There are no visitors, there are no 3 a.m. wake-ups. I do a lot of like protective stuff um, and set little bubbles up before we go to bed and just these different practices that keep me from getting, I'm really grumpy when you wake me up, even if you're an angel. <laughs> so um, yeah, I do these little, these little rituals that are, you know, a bit cumbersome. You really just wanna roll into bed and go to sleep, but um, they protect me and they keep me safe. Do you feel as you get older, you might find yourself opening up to wanting that communication with the other side, you know, from talking to dead people or whatever? Or is that something that you feel like is just going to be off the table for, for this lifetime? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, four, I'm 40 now and um, this has been, you know, I started talking to dead people when I was 11 on a Ouija board. So I don't know that it's something that's gonna change. I know that I'm constantly changing, so it could happen. Um, I talk to the people in my life who are dead. Um, and, and a big part of that too is the responsibility. Like it's, when, when someone sits down to work with a medium, they're in pain, they're in grief a lot of the time. There is like longing. And that is also a lot of pressure <laughs> for the medium themselves. And when you're working with angels, the message is completely different because it's not an intimate person that you have lost in your life. And uh, that degree of responsibility, I found really challenging working with people in their grief, particularly as a clairsentient, where I was just like sucking it all up. That was too much for me. So some of it was the, I don't want to talk to dead people. And some of it was, I don't want to deal with the grieving, which is kind of cold, but it's protective from myself. Um, I have a lot of friends who've passed away. They come hang out. My stepdad will now doesn't hang out in the patio door. He'll come and talk to me. Um, but also we have some good boundaries. Like my maternal grandmother has a tendency to like lean in while I'm sleeping and I can feel her face very close to mine. And I'll be like, Sylvia, out you go. And I send her <laughs> on her way. And I almost have to have office hours because they just have different boundaries than we do. And if we don't have clear boundaries, then they will walk all over them. Right. So that's a good way to put it office hours. I've never thought of it that way. That's, that's kind of a cool way to, to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, so you call yourself a recovering people pleaser. Yes. How did you recognize that that behavior was detrimental to you? And what steps did you take to begin changing that? A big part of it was recognizing my inner monologue, which was really critical and, sh and shitty. Like if I'm totally honest, just really critical and awful. And, um, and then saying, okay, if I consider myself to be a happy person, like, why is this what's running through my head? And then recognizing my conditioning, recognizing the expectations that were on me as an eldest child. And, and even like when I moved out, I didn't just move out. I moved across the country at 17. Like I was like really trying to escape my life and my family followed me. <laughs> so um, I started to see these patterns of like, recognizing like what was me, what wasn't me. And the critical voice in my head wasn't me. 
And then digging into that a little bit further and saying, okay, where did that come from? Why is that happening? Um, I spent five years working with a shaman doing ayahuasca ceremonies. So that kind of blows everything out of the water and you start to really see truth in things. And I could recognize my own motivations of like, do I actually want this thing? Or have I been told that I should want this thing? And I started recognizing how all my boundaries were getting walked on, but I didn't recognize why. And it was because I wasn't setting them. I was just trying to make everybody else happy because it was easier than saying no. And once I started recognizing that I had built this beautiful life that I hated, um, I had to start to dismantle it. And the changes were really small, but had crazy impact. Like when I gave up eating meat, it pissed my family off so much. I went like two and a half years of not talking to my family because I asked to have no meat at one of my birthday parties, like seven years after giving up meat, like ridiculous stuff like that. And it was because my boundary of, I don't want this thing, not because it's wrong, not because it's bad, but because it's not right for me somehow was really activating for people around me who felt like I was condemning their behavior when in reality, I was just saying, I want to do something else. And when I stopped compromising in those places and I saw the ripple effect, including like not talking to family members for a long time, um, I started to see all the places I'd given away my power, all the places I'd said yes when I meant no. Um, and also the space that got created when I started to say no so that I could say yes to things that actually lit me up. And it made such a difference. It made me joyous. That's such an important message for people to hear. That's something I'm try trying to share right now as well. Um, and just that boundaries are so important. People are so afraid to say no or to stand up for themselves. And there's power in that. And you're protecting yourself mm -hmm. from a situation that you're not going to be happy in. So that's something I preach constantly is that boundaries are necessary. They're not mean, you know, and it doesn't mean, and especially when you're putting up a boundary with a person, it doesn't mean you have to shut them out of your life completely, but you know where that boundary is. You know what you can take and what you can't. Um, so I'm really happy you shared all that. You have a question that you like to ask people. What kind of magic do you make in the world? Why is it important for you to phrase it that way when you talk to people? A lot of muggles, I like to call them muggles, uh, to borrow Harry Potter vernacular. I, a lot of muggles are attracted to my work because even though I'm deeply spiritual, I'm also pretty grounded and earthy. So anyone who's kind of, I like to call them like the cosmically curious, they're like, hey, wait a minute, she's kind of a safe place to explore this, this woo-woo side of me. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, in coach world, there's so much of the same speech that goes on a bit like what is your unique selling position and like I could ask that same question in a million different ways but I feel like when we bring magic into it uh, not only does it reflect that kind of spiritual side to my business but also it taps into like the little part of us like that excited part that hasn't been jaded by adulthood and society and a pandemic and everything else um, so we get to be a bit more playful when we say, you know, what kind of magic do you make in the world? It doesn't, um, it doesn't box us in. We don't have to have a serious response. We don't have to have that canned, well, this is my elevator pitch. You get to just be a person being human and like getting excited about what you do in the world. Aren't you excited to be living right now? Yes. Excuse me, during a time when it's okay to ask these questions for the first time, probably, you know, in recent history, if not in all of history, we can have these kinds of discussions. And yes, there will be a huge part of the population that thinks it's 
woo-woo in a negative way um, and don't believe it and don't buy off on it. But there's a bigger part of the population that is really starting to open their eyes to energy and, Mm -hmm. you know, manifesting and all of those things. Um, And I think it's really important that people like you, people like me are stepping out and, and finally saying, yeah, this, this is who we are and this is what we can help offer you. Some of you it's going to resonate with, and some of you it's not, and that's okay. So, um, I, I think you're really unique too, because not only do you offer coaching and group coaching and self-study programs and all of those things, but you are a podcaster yourself. Mm -hmm. You host a podcast called the light walkers path. What can people expect when they listen to you? So I think for someone who's just entering into any kind of spiritual or light worker or whatever word you want to use, anyone who's stepping into that field, um, there is a misconception that it is always sunshine and lollipops. And um, to the point where it's actually detrimental, I believe, because we get into this idea that we need to be in the high vibe tribe, that when we feel things like anger, um, we reject that part of ourselves or we deny it. We pretend it isn't happening. We actually gaslight ourselves. It's really dangerous. And so I wanted to have a space because a lot of the podcasts I found were really talking about all the positive sides of spirituality. They were supposed to be really motivational and inspiring and they are, and that's great. But there was this big part of the conversation that wasn't happening, which is what the truth is of living a spiritual life. I am someone who is uncomfortably self-reflective to the point where I'm just like, I don't even want to think about this anymore, but I know there's more work here. (laughs) And that is what it means to be spiritual is to have that willingness and that commitment to keep showing up, even when you're exhausted, even when it's uncomfortable, um, being cast out because of my gifts, having my stepdad scare the crap out of me in my patio door. Like these are things that are legitimately happening that people aren't talking about, um, So I wanted to create a podcast that was just the truth about what it meant to live a spiritual life and um, somewhere that we could have honest conversations without any judgment. And so that when someone was listening to it, they could go, oh, me too, and not feel like they're doing spirituality wrong. I think that's a perfect segue into talking about your new book, Mm. Sacred Anger, because that's what I think is really unique about you. I had not heard of a lot of light workers, spiritual people kind of stepping out and really talking about the truth. A lot of us feel like, I think that we have to show the good and everything all the time and do the high vibe thing all the time, but it's also important to acknowledge those other feelings and they are powerful. And that's kind of what you're bringing forward. So can you talk a little bit about what your book is about? Yeah. So the idea is to work with anger as a sacred teacher so that we're actually bringing it into the spiritual path rather than it being like the dark side that we need to reject or get rid of or transmute or whatever spiritual language you want to use to talk about that. And um, what I noticed, like I've watched a lot of patterns of how people deal with anger. I grew up in in a, a very unsafe, angry household. So I had some exposure from this like pretty early on. And I had to unpack a lot of my own bias because of that when I started to write this book. But what I started noticing with people is that they would, if they would allow themselves to even acknowledge that they were were angry, they would either like blow it off by like screaming, yelling, putting a hole in the wall, something, whatever, expressing it. So they would let off the steam, but they wouldn't deal with the problem. Or you'd have people who would just pretend it wasn't happening, be in total denial and just like act like it was business as usual. Or you'd have the ones who are, 
doing spiritual work who'd be like, I am angry. I'm going to understand what this means and what the life lesson is. And then I'm going to like get rid of it. And it was this unhealthy pattern because none of us were actually getting what we needed from it. And we kept treating it like something that needed to go away. And what I started recognizing with my own anger was that if I could just sit and listen to it, if I could allow, like accept that it was happening, acknowledge it, create the space to actually feel it out, even if it was uncomfortable, even if it was ugly, and my God, it was ugly, um, and then work on moving it and then reflect on it. So it was not bypassing any piece of the experience and also not trying to jump to the lesson while you're still immediately pissed off because you're not thinking objectively, you're not tapped into your higher self. Going through this process in that way um, really helped me to rewrite the relationship that I had with anger. And then she started to teach me and I started to understand parts of myself. I started recognizing old wounds that I didn't even have access to before. And um, I learned a lot about myself and about humanity. I can see the patterns in other people and in their anger. And it gives you different perspective. It gives you compassion for yourself, for other people. Um, and this is of course, like I'm talking about general anger. I'm not talking where people's safety is a question here, right? Like I'm always about like safety first. If it means you get the hell out of the house, then you get the hell out of the house. Like you really have to do whatever that takes first. But when we are in the space where we can learn from it, um, giving ourselves the space to just feel it first is so important. Then we can move it. Then we try to extract the lessons. If we try to extract it before we're only going to get the surface level stuff. And that's, it's almost a waste. Like why go through the experience of anger, which doesn't feel good if you're not getting everything that you can from it. So since learning and developing all this, has the awareness of your own anger changed in how you deal with it when it comes up? So the first thing I noticed was that it was my recovery got better. So I would get pissed off. And then instead of stewing for days, I would stew for hours. Sometimes I stew for like 20 minutes if I can just like get it out really good. Um, not all times, sometimes it lingers, but like in general, the recovery got a lot faster. Um, the other thing is that I recognize the signs before it blows up. And some of that is just because I deal with things as it comes rather than bottling it up and then having it blow up in my face over the smallest thing. Um, I'll start to recognize where I'm like, oh, I'm really irritable right now. Huh. That's curious. And I'll be like, is it because I'm feeling anxious about something or is this because I have something that's unresolved that I'm feeling a little bit angry about? So it's almost like this new level of awareness with yourself where you're able to kind of step outside and be like, that's really funny. What's going on over here? And that ability to kind of step outside has really helped me so much because the thing I was the most terrified of for my whole life was the power of my words. I was really worried about inflicting pain because when you're, you know, deeply intuitive, because I certainly wasn't saying psychic at the time, but when you're deeply intuitive, you know, people's buttons, you know, the thing that will light them up and you know, the thing that will cut them down. And I was terrified of that power and that knowing. And to be able to step outside myself and have that one beat before I would react was enough to keep my tongue in check so that I wasn't coming and speaking from my wound so that I wasn't in this like automatic lashing out. I would be able to like take a pause. Like when I fight with my husband, sometimes he'll say something really snarky and I'll take a breath and I'd be like, I'd like you to think about how you would feel if I said that to you. Whereas like my teenage self would have been like, mm, and just come right out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fists the blazing. So um, to have that awareness, to be able to take that beat, to be able to be reflective and to even put that on my partner to say like, if you were receiving this, like how would it feel? And it almost immediately turns every fight around. Um, so it's been a powerful gift. Like even if no one ever bought the book, 
that experience is such a gift. Well, most people are going to be discovering this later in life. I'm 44, you're 40. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to read it and kind of walk myself through that process. But for someone who's around our age, who is probably carrying a lot of unresolved anger mm -hmm. from childhood into where you are now, where do you suggest they start with dealing with those things? I think it needs to be um, what's playing up the most for them right now. Because so many people have childhood trauma that they have completely locked away and it's not playing out for them right now. But the thing that they're finding is like they can't stop getting mad at their coworker who leaves coffee grinds all over the counter or something like that. I would start off with like where the immediate pressure is coming from. And then I would ask you to just get curious about it. Like, what is it about this particular situation that pisses you off so much? Where has that happened for you before? And what was going on in your life when that happened for you before? So when we kind of take this like curiosity approach and we become like these little detectives of our own feelings, we get to start to see how these patterns come out. And we think that this is the first time we've been really irritable over something stupid, but in reality, you know, it ties back to, you know, something when we were kids that maybe we'd forgotten about before. And when we take, when we use curiosity as the tool rather than like this big, like serious self-exploration or whatever, when we do it from a curious place, it takes the pressure off. There's no need to get it right. You can just explore and ask questions and go, hmm, that's really interesting. And it also means you don't have to judge yourself for it because there isn't anything to judge yourself for. Your feelings are valid. Even if you would like them to be different, how you're feeling right now is completely valid. So if you can, if it's something that you do wanna change, then just like explore it, dig in, ask questions. So through this process, you've already said that if nobody ever read the book, you'd be okay because you've learned yourself mm -hmm. so much from it. Why was it important for you to write this and share it with other people? Oh, um, when I first started writing this book, um, it was something that was coming through me. It was uncomfortable. I didn't want to write it. I did not want to be the person to champion anger. That was not, I was, I was still wanting to be part of the high vibe tribe at that point, right? And I was afraid of my own darkness. I did not want to go there. Um, there were times where I actually thought it was going to ruin my marriage because I would want to share parts of my husband and he would literally be like, I don't want to hear it. I can't hear it. Like, this is not for me. And it was such a rejection of this work that I was pouring myself into that I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the end of us. And then I shelved it. Um, it always felt like it was bigger than me and I knew it was going to come back, but I wasn't really prepared to die on that hill at that time. So I shelved it for at least a year. And at the start of this year, I started writing a completely different book. And then Black Lives Matter came back in a big resurgence. And then people were just really fueled up during this pandemic. And so much anger was just coming from every angle, particularly in the US, but of course we feel it everywhere. Um, and I sat down with my book coach and I was like, oh, I gotta park this book and take that other one off the shelf. And so I started talking to him about it and he was like, yes, like the, this is the time. And, um, yeah, I, 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 was, I would say I was a reluctant author. It was definitely something that felt bigger than me and like it had to happen. I didn't want it to be me, but it felt easier at this time because it felt like medicine. Whereas the book that I had started at the start of this year, I actually thought was to prepare people for sacred anger. Um, and then what ended up happening is social media prepared them and the conditions of the world prepared them, the pandemic prepared them. 
And so now I didn't have to do the heavy lifting of here's, here's what it means to be honest in your spiritual living. It was just like, Hey, we're getting real and honest here. So let's let it get ugly. Let's, uh, let's be truthful about what's going on under our feelings right now. Well, and so many people are that angry Mm -hmm. and, you know, on, on all sides and everybody's angry for different reasons and everybody is screaming at each other and not stopping down and talking. So if everybody could take a page out of your book and just first learn how to deal with your own anger and learn how to deal with yourself and then learn how to communicate that out, mm-hmm. the world would be a much different place. I think so. so, but we'd all have to be on the same page at the same time. Oh yeah. That's never going to happen, but (laughs) in an ideal world, everyone on March 3rd is buying my book, taking the day off work, snuggling down, reading it. And then we're all going to make friends afterwards. I know that's not realistic, but that would be amazing. It's not realistic, but again, you hope a good part of the population will be curious enough to dive into something like that because nobody likes dealing with the crap of your past. Nobody likes dealing with that, but that is so much of where our anger comes from. And you end up realizing it's not as bad as you thought, or you can kind of rewrite that story for yourself and come out a better, stronger person and a more um, communicative. I can't even say the word, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm Um, resilient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, something else that this podcast does is really encourages people to follow their dreams. And I heard you mention you had a book coach. So how did you get teamed up with somebody that was going to help you with this whole process? So this book, um, I worked with uh, someone named George Alizos, who's an author himself, um, and he is a spiritual teacher as well. So we were running in the same circles. I'd interviewed him on my podcast, um, and I just kind of stayed in his circle, and I found him really interesting. And he hosted a workshop, I think it was the end of last year, or I guess we're in January now, so the end of 2019. And he was like, hey, this is the difference between like traditional publishing, self-publishing and a hybrid publisher. Um, This is the way that I mentor. Uh, This is the publisher that I work with. And, you know, if you're interested then pitch me your book. And I had this thought of like, do I, is, do I want to start something completely new? Like, cause I knew Sacred Anger was already on a shelf and, um, And there was something that was just like, yes, Serena. And I really do follow the nudges. And so there was just something about, you know, this particular workshop that I knew I had to be there. And it was early in the morning on a Sunday and I was not super keen on that. And I did it anyway. And in that workshop, I was like, oh man, I gotta write another book. Here we go. And now I have like five of them queued up in my head. So, you know, it was definitely meant to be. And I think it's really important because there's so many different book coaches that you can work with. And it's really important that you find someone who has, shares your values, who believes in your vision, um, who gets you. Cause I mean, I could have worked with like a traditional book coach and they would just be like, this girl is bananas. She has an entire chapter talking about different tools to transmute anger. And she's talking about angels and crystals. Like what the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it could have gone really badly, but George got me. And so when you can find someone that jives with you in that, in that way, someone who has the chops to help you get your book in the world, um, it can be a pretty, I mean, yes, you can do it all by yourself, but I know that through working with George, um, through working with my editor, my book is a lot better than it would have been if I'd just done it by myself. Has it hit you yet that you have a book coming out? Sometimes I, 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 I ride the, the, the pendulum between no one's going to buy it and everyone's going to buy it. And oh my God, what's going to happen. So, um, 
I don't know. I don't know if that's actually accepting that it's coming or not. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the ride. <laughs> I guess I'm almost there. Well, everybody can actually pre-order it right now and you are giving them a whole bunch of bonuses if they do. So I know it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Do you want to talk a little bit about what people can get if they go ahead and, and pre-order it? I actually don't even remember all of the bonuses, but the big Ooh, one. I got it in front of me. I got oh, it in front of me. Okay. I, I you tell yeah, me all I'll just read I'll some. Tell you about yeah. the, the moon ceremony because that's the one yeah. I'm excited about. Okay, so well, if you want to start with that, then that's the first one on the list. Okay, okay. so uh, on the full moon in uh, March, we are going to be hosting a virtual moon ceremony, full moon ceremony. So full moons are ripe for release and transformation. So when you're dealing with something like anger or really anything that's in the way of your joy, a full moon is the perfect time to let it go. So I'm going to be. Um, facilitating a really beautiful um, experience where we can do that. Um, that's, I think, some of the magic I make in the world is, um, is experiential events. So especially if you like someone who takes you on a guided journey, uh, that will probably be the juiciest one for you. It's the one I'm the most excited about. I'm excited about that because actually I teach um, an astrology life coaching class and we just got done with that topic, um, manifesting with the new moon and letting everything go with the full moon. So um, I know my class will be excited to get your book and be a part of this because they're just beginning to understand the power that the moon harnesses and what you can do with it. Um, something else that you get when you pre-order Sacred Anger is a digital interactive journal it's going to guide you through the book's prompts. You're going to get five themed printable altar cards to use in your sacred space, digital wallpaper for your computer and phone to remind you how to honor how you feel, and a whole bunch of multi multimedia resources to support your inner exploration. Yeah, there'll be so, meditations and things like that. I can actually show you. Uh, I have like a couple of the printed altar cards here. That's just one of them. And they turned out so pretty. So these are things that you would need to print um, on your own. But of course, I had to make sure that they looked really nice. So like for those of you who oh, are watching gorgeous. the video. Yeah. And then here's another one. Oh, wow. Did you design these? I did, yeah. Um, oh. the, I didn't do the art. I purchased the art. But I designed the layout and whatnot. So yeah, it's just different ways of being able to integrate it into your sacred practice if you're somebody who does that type of thing. Well, I'm excited again for the book. I think it's going to be really cool. What's next for you? You've mentioned all these other ideas and stuff in your head. Are you going to continue writing or are you going to take a break? Um, both. So there's going to be a tiny break. I actually took the whole week that the book comes out off so that I could just kind of breathe a little and be like, holy crap, that happened. Okay, great. Um, I've also been the last month, I've been piloting um, a one-on-one -on -one program that's based on the principles of the book. And I have a group program coming as well. So the one-on-one -on -one program is called the Anger Tango. So it's all about learning to dance with your anger and to be in that place of passion and not be consumed by it. Um, so I think anger is going to be my primary focus for this year. And then I'll get back to the book I had started at the beginning of 2020 uh, eventually, but I feel like I'm still kind of riding this wave for a little bit and um, honoring the space that it needs to take up. Does your husband believe in you now, now that you're yes. a published author? <laughs> yes. Um, he actually sat down and read it and I was watching. He's, he's very quiet. He reads really fast and he was fist pumping the air and getting really excited. And some of that was also the work that he's done in the two and a half years it took me to finish this book. Um, but it was really exciting to see that transformation and to know that it actually brought us closer together instead of driving us apart. It was pretty magical. 
Well, now that you are going to lay yourself out there for the mm -hmm. world to read, how do you deal with criticism? <sighs> I don't care. So recently I was interviewed on a podcast and someone was comment, someone actually wrote in the comments, oh my God, I can't stand her voice, blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, I, I started in theater, I trained in radio um, and I thought it was really funny. And I actually said, hi, that's me. Just out of curiosity, like, why, why don't you like my voice? And I was genuinely curious. And she just deleted her comment instead of answering me, which I thought was really funny too. So I do go to a bit of a place where I'm secure enough in myself that I think that, you know, that haters are funny. Um, but I also like to take a moment and say like, is there something here? So like in the case of that woman not liking my voice, I wanted to know, like, it, like was I having an off day? Was I really nasally? Was I like, was there something that I could fix? And do I want to fix it if I, you know, if, it, if there was. So I think it's good to um, look at it in that respect. Um, but if it's just the general stuff of like, I hate her face or like things you can't do anything about. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a them problem. You know, like I'm not going to change my face. This is just what I look like. And that's fine. So it's, it's a bit of a, a dance between, and it certainly depends if I'm having a good day or not. It's a lot easier to laugh on a good day than it is on a bad day. But I do Very like true. to say, is there something in here? Like, do I actually have to look at this or is this someone just being an a-hole? Because sometimes. And usually we know what the answer is. Yeah. <laughs> what inspires you? Oh, I think like the idea of possibility is really big for me. Um, a lot of the stories that I follow and even like just the people in my life who've overcome a lot, who haven't given up, even though they faced adversity. And I include myself in that actually, when I look at my journey, where there's so many times I could have thrown in the towel and I didn't. And it, it really helps me on the days where I want to throw in the towel where I'm like, yeah, but what about these people? And what about this situation? What, what about the possibility of what is on the other side of this? And because I believe in that, because I have hope and faith, um, it helps me to ride out a lot of storms. So yeah, and it's nice to have people who've done it, who have like overcome their own odds. Well, I think that's so important to point out because it doesn't matter how enlightened you become, mm -hmm. um, you know, how spiritual you become, you're going to continue to have those rough days. You're going to have the days that you don't want to get out of bed or you're frustrated. The difference is, is you learn how to cope with it. You learn how to deal with it and you don't stay in that space for as long as you used to. Mm -hmm. so, that's the bounce back. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, even last week, I, someone asked a question in a Facebook group and I answered it and she got really defensive. And I was like, I literally wrote, hold the phone. I'm not judging you. I don't know anything about your business. I just want to keep you out of trouble with spam laws. And she blocked me. And I spent like a good hour going, what, the, what just happened there? Like this lady is bananas. And I was mad because here I had given a lot of time and expertise to help this woman. And she blocked me. And so I do have moments where I'm just like, what the hell world? <laughs> Um, and, you know, and I literally wrote the book on anger and I still go there. So if, you know, if there's ever evidence that it could happen to anybody, <laughs> there you have it. I love that you can say that. I literally wrote the book on anger. <laughs> you really did. That's, that should be your little byline there, your little tagline. Um, when something goes wrong in your life, we all have those moments where, you know, you're stuck in traffic, something happens, you know, and it just sends you off in a bad mood in a whole different place. How do you bring yourself back in those kind of insignificant moments that you shouldn't be upset? You shouldn't get angry. You shouldn't allow it to affect your mood, but you do anyway. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you do? 
uh, I let myself feel it. I didn't used to, I used to go to that place of, I should be over this by now, you know, lo- and love and letting myself of like, <laughs> you should be beyond this. You should know better. You should see past the veil. And it was like, whatever, Serena, you know what? You're pissed off. Like just be pissed off. Now I'm not saying set up camp and like live in the land of pissed off, but denying what you feel, even if it's for a stupid reason, like, I mean, like that woman who I don't even know on the internet blocking me, like big picture, who cares? Like, I don't even remember her name. That's how insignificant it was, but it pissed me off for like at least an hour. But if I had tried to like deny that, it would have gone on way longer. Whereas because I was just like, yeah, I'm angry. And I gave myself the space and I was like, I don't know why I'm so triggered, but I am triggered. I just let myself feel it out. And um, it seems to move a whole lot faster that way. And then I can get curious on the other side of it. I can get curious about like, well, what was it that made me so mad? And, and I, don't, I didn't actually even, it was so insignificant. I didn't even go back and like dig into why it <laughs> made me mad. But usually I would, if it was something that was bigger, I would say, okay, something is at play here. Like what button did that push of mine? Perfect. What mantra do you say to yourself that keeps you going? So I usually like, I actually don't work with mantras in the way that a lot of people do. I work with um, one of the Ganesh mantras whenever I'm feeling stuck and I need to move through things and move through blocks, uh, which is Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. But it's not the ones where like people will put their mantras on their phone and remind themselves or make it their passwords to, you know, integrate it every day. I think it's a really beautiful practice. It's just not been the one um, that I use. I do, however, have this post-it on my computer that says, I am allowed to take up space which is a big one, especially as a recovering people pleaser, because you'd really just try to make sure that there's enough for everybody else that you deny yourself. So I'm allowed to take up space is like the post-it I keep close by. That's perfect. Um, It has been a pleasure talking with you and learning more about you and how we can accept our anger and learn how to work with our anger. And I'm excited to read the new book. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with us? I really just want to normalize this conversation. Like, you know, being angry doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, It doesn't mean that you are wrong and it's nothing to feel guilty or shameful about. Like you can always bounce back. You can always make it right. You can always recover and um, really take the time to do that for yourself. Really forgive yourself and acknowledge your humanity and that you're going to screw up sometimes. And it doesn't make you bad. It just means you had an off day and you can make it better. I just feel better hearing that already. Good. That's what I was going for. <laughs> well, if you'd like to learn more about how Serena can help you and how to pre-order her book, Sacred Anger, visit sacredangerbook.com. And I am going to tag you all over social media because you have a very unique spelling to your name. And if I say it right now, people are probably going to go to the wrong place anyway. <laughs> so we will get all of that up. But thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.